five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. And Tim and Yank and Buffy, the girl from Ipanema goes walking. And when she passes, each one she passes goes. Ah. When she walks, she's like a samba that swings so cool and sways so gently that when she passes, each one she passes goes. girl from Ipanema, the beautiful and um, now late Astrid Gilberto. She passed away about two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. 
And that song was a massive, massive, massive hit. Massive hit. It could cross so many borders and um, like top 10 lists all, all across all across the world. And for good reason, it's it's an iconic song. And it, it captures uh, the beginning of the Tropicalismo era of Brazilian music. And Tropicalismo is essentially a, a very unique genre that doesn't exist any in any other form of music. And it's this hybrid of uh, the samba rhythm and the samba beat with a number of other musical influences, including jazz, like you saw there with Stan Getz. But later on, it would acquire other personalities who were very turned on by what was happening in Europe uh, in terms of pop music and psychedelia, and even to some extent, the American R&B scene. So it is really this um, mashup of styles, but the the baseline behind it all is is uh, the samba, and there's also strains of other folkloric music um, that comes out of Brazil, and also some you know the indigenous sounds of Brazil, which is not samba. Samba radically is from Africa, right? And it, I guess you could make kind of an indigenous argument for that beat. I'm talking more along the lines of the uh, Amazonian Indians and some of the percussion and rhythms that emerge out of that area. It's a really fascinating melting pot of styles and sounds. You, just don't, you don't find it anywhere else. I think maybe the closest you would get to the tropicalismo era of music was also the uh, Ethiopiques um, era of music in Ethiopia, where there was kind of a, a similar kind of melding of all these different styles going on. Uh, so in Ethiopia, there might have been about three or four main artists. Maybe we'll play a little Ethiopiques sometime in the summer. That would be kind of cool. World music, international music was was a big love of mine and still is. And you wouldn't know it because I don't play a lot of it on the show. But I started to get into it in my in my 20s, actually my late teens, about 19, 20 years old, 21. And I found the, uh, I used to work in this record store, Sue's record store, and I found the uh, soundtrack to the movie Black Orpheus. And I think I'm going to play it. I'll do that tomorrow. <clears throat> and I believe that's uh, her father, Hal Gilberto, who was involved in the soundtrack for that movie. And Black Orpheus is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's absolutely magical. It's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, and it's shot during Carnival in Brazil. And it's, it's an amazing movie. And the soundtrack is just out of this world. It's kind of atmospheric, and uh, and yet it's got that exotic kind of sensual uh, backdrop and beat of the samba, which is the soundtrack for Carnival, which becomes the... 
And so I used to, and I remember seeing that movie as a kid. I think it might've been during the summertime and I, I think it was probably at home and it was, they played this movie during the day on this local channel. And I remember watching that movie as a kid thinking, man, this movie is really interesting. And um, as I got older, I used to watch it over whatever I could see it. I would watch that movie because back then you couldn't really control your content. Unless, of course, you had it on uh, a VHS or Betamax or whatever. But when I discovered that soundtrack in the record store, I'm like, man, I really, I would play it. I play it a lot. And so it wasn't just that. There were other kind of influences that were um, shaping my musical taste at that time. I was coming out of this whole punk rock thing, which I really liked, but it was getting way too aggressive for me. And the whole... Um, mosh pit scene was just it was like uh, this isn't really that fun for me you know i liked it better when we were doing like the pogo and the worm and those sorts of things right nobody was nobody was getting hurt it wasn't a rite of passage uh so i began to kind of move away from that musical style and influence in my life um sorry note from the from the care 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 caregiver uh, and then i started to then i discovered like other really really interesting music that was kind of global in nature but also bringing in you know some electronic stuff and that's when peter gabriel released uh this double album on real world which was his label and it was an incredible incredible album and it had all these really obscure artists uh, that were on there they had a whole Rishukai track uh which was persian love song and i actually interviewed Holger Shukai later on and asked him about that track um and then people like john hassel and harold budd and uh just kind of really branching out into into to me what was a really really interesting sound and I wouldn't say it all started with the Brazilian stuff, but it was clearly a very, very easy entrance point to um, that genre. So we'll, we'll we'll play some more. I think it's a really interesting genre. And we'll try to uh, play some more, you know, either contemporary or close to contemporary artists as well. But I feel like it's such a rich um, bed of musical influence it's very calming music too like it's a really calming sound <laughs> some of them um <clears throat> excuse me um there are some artists from that era who aren't as calm there's this guy named tom tom z or tom tom j and he was he was really out there and tom j was a kind of a seminal figure in uh, david burns influence as an artist and of course, David Byrne develops a love affair with Brazilian music. And I think he produced a Caetano Voloso record and who's kind of the David Byrne of Brazil. He's an interesting character. A little side note, I actually saw Stan Getz one time and I think it was like 1979 or 80 at the Keystone Corner, which is a famous jazz club, which is no longer there in San Francisco. It was run by this guy named Todd Barkin. And Todd knew he knew everybody in the jazz scene 
everybody. So if you were going to play in San Francisco or the Bay Area, the Keystone Corner was at the top of your list. And so that was my that was kind of like my first legit jazz show. And I went with my my girlfriend at the time. And her there's a guy that he, she worked with who was really into jazz. He was a cool guy. And so she said, "You want to go see Stan Getz tonight?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And the evening was great, right? It was a San Francisco evening. There was this Basque restaurant that was on Broadway. I don't know if it's, I think it's called De Alps. D-E-S-A-L-P-E-S, De Alps. I don't know if it's there anymore, but it was on Broadway. And we and so we went to this Basque restaurant and the food was really good. It's like my first Basque meal, right? And then we just kind of, you know, sauntered over to the Keystone Corner and we saw Stan Getz and he was interesting. He mostly played with his back to the audience. Most of the night, he was kind of doing a Miles Davis thing. When he would turn to the audience, he wouldn't really acknowledge the audience very much. And he had a, he had a good band. Um, he had this guy, Shelly Mann, who's a really uh, well-known jazz drummer. <laughs> he was his drummer. And... Um, this guy Lou Lou Levy Lou Levy on piano, and he had this young young guy on bass. I forget his name, but it was a cool show. And um, Stan Getz will live a few more years after that, but not too much longer. He had, he had a lot of health problems, mostly due to alcohol and drugs. But that's a whole other story. That's a jazz world. Anyway, we'll play some more of the uh, Brazilian Brazilian sound, Brasileiro. Let's see who's in chat. Who do we have in chat today? Let's see. We got uh, my man, Michael and TJ LMM. What's happening, Leela? Great start of the day. Start of the day. Start of the day. Uh, oh, thank you. You're welcome. Good Wednesday, Chataria. There's my man, Steve Thor at the door. We're going to have uh, Christopher Gardner on the Friday show. And uh, you might know him as Bio Charisma or Bio Charisma. He was a guest on Old World Florida. He'll be joining us on Friday show. We're getting some young blood. Young blood. Uh, it'll be good to talk to him. Let's see who else. Bet Barry. What's going on, Double B? There's the beautiful one. Wendy says. Mary Lee, good morning. Good seeing you on Twitter. On Twitter yesterday. Welcome back, Mary Lee. I'm glad you're here. Fantastic. It's Wednesday. Oh, that was good. Like Wendy says, it's Wednesday. Oh, I like that. Sony, the classy one. She's here. Kelly B. Checking in right at 9-11 on the dot. SP Dimples. Representing the uh, great continent of Europe. Uh, let's see who else we have. Past Lives Matter is here. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Darlene, hey, what's going on? Working while listening. It's always good. Listen while you work. Listen while you work. Hucklebuck411, what's going on, Huckle? Hucklebuckle. No grumpy Marge, Sam. Uh, yeah, I think Marge is a uh, Hayoka, Hayoka Yah. You know, hey, you, 
I tell you what, man, it's, I was thinking about this today. It's like, how do I moderate that? How do I moderate people's moods? I'm like, no, it's like, don't moderate it. Just let people hang out and be in. We all have some bad days. Let's put it that way. We all have some bad days. The challenge is, is that most of us are just rubbed, rubbed to the nub, right? We've been rubbed to the nub and we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of breaks. And I think that's a problem. And so it's very hard at times to step back and be civil and, uh, because we're just, most of us are just on edge. Like I was ready to take that fucking woman's head off at the doctor's office. I really had to like take a deep breath. Ah, uh, look at that SB dimples. She's digging it. Scrubbies. What's happening, Tamara? Good to see you. Harry Bowie. What's going on? Hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, uh. Yeah, she did just pass away. Yep. Well, Marge, you know what? Marge is Marge is welcome here. She, Marge wants to show up. She can show up. You know, it's like. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this story, um, which I've talked about in the past. But if you're new to the show, it's like I've never talked about it. So I get to talk about it. And it has to do with the behavioral psychiatrist, Artie Lang who is a really odd guy, but Artie Lang, um, and that's r.d.lang, um, he, there, I read this story about him one time and how he was dealing with this one patient. And the patient was catatonic. They weren't in a coma. It was different. They were catatonic. And like you could hold up like a, a spoon to this it was a woman and theoretically the woman would eat like they they would perform functions but no interactivity at all complete catatonia who knows what triggered that so they brought this woman to Artie lang and he looked at her said well how do i treat somebody who's in a, who's who's catatonic he said okay why don't we do this why don't we find a use for her Let's get her a job as a model in a display window in a department store. And that's exactly what they did. They managed to somehow convince a fucking department store to do this. And apparently that was the hardest part. But they agreed to it and they would dress her up and put her in the mannequin space in the front of the store wearing things. And slowly but surely, she began to emerge from her catatonia. And that was like, when I read that, I thought to myself, this man is a fucking genius. He basically figured out a context for her and her condition. And when you get into astrology, astrology is all about context. Life is about context. You know, you could say one thing to a person under certain conditions, and you can say the exact same thing to another person under different conditions, and 
it will mean something completely different or be taken in a completely different way. So context is everything in life. And so he realized that the context for her was going to be critical and that she had a purpose, right? And, and so there's a context for everybody, even somebody who might have difficult emotions. And we all have difficult emotions at times, right, Peachy? You're my little wing girl, aren't you? Jasper is just crapped out on the king's chair over on Studio B. He's not even interested anymore. He wants to do his own show, I think. All right, who else do we have? Lisa W., what's going on, Lisa W.? Hanging laundry. I'm getting in my car and taking off. We'll be listening. Good. Take us on the road. We're portable. Monsoon, morning chat, Tari extraordinaire. Okay, let's see. Let's go down, Miss Nakia. Good to see you. Alex Soros has Sam Paku eyes. That's a, that's an interesting opener. What's going on, Bo? Good to see you. Uh, let's see. Can I just say Chattara is one of the most gracious group of people I've ever encountered? You can, and I agree 100%. They're even better in 3D, believe it or not. I've met a lot of these people. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Monsoon was one of those, another one of those, like, Seminal recordings back in my 20s, I discovered Ever So Lonely, which was amazing. Sheila Chandra, who went on to have a, a, a vibrant career, kind of in the you know Peter Gabriel real world stable. Uh, Tom provides some background on, as for Gilberto, born... 1940 in Salvador, state of Bahia, Brazil, died June 5th, 2023, Philadelphia. She was living in Philadelphia. I've seen her daughter, Bebel Gilberto. She's a very good performer, too. Man, that is a musical family right there. Scrubbies. My dad loved to dance to that song. You guys are digging. I think you're digging the Brazilian thing. Uh, let's see. Crossfire Cat. You did miss the song, but you can catch it on the replay. Elliot. Oh, okay. Yes. 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 Good morning, Elliot. How are you? Marie NC, I love the song, but Cerevon Brazilian Romance captures those sounds. I'll have to check it out, Marie. Headache fog today. Kelly B. What do we have for Kelly B? Maybe I'll find a, a healing code. Let's see if we do this. Let's see what we got here. Against headache. The code for against headache is 4181 
goes out to our girl Kelly B. Four eight one eight five four three. 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 There you go. Just keep repeating those numbers and see what happens to your headache. I've never done that before. I didn't even know, honestly, I don't even know what that is. But it seemed kind of interesting. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Grabavoid numbers. What the hell is a Grabavoid number? Let's find out. We're going to learn. I bet you somebody in chat knows Grabavoid numbers. Let's find out what a Grabavoid number is. Grigori Grabavoy. is the leader of the Russian sect, the teaching of universal salvation and harmonious development. He is claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ, to be able to resurrect the dead, teleport, cure AIDS, and cancer. He's 59 years old. Wow, he's my age. How about that? Uh, to resurrect the dead, teleport, cure AIDS, and cancer at any stage, diagnose and solve problems of electronic devices remotely to be clairvoyance and to be able to change reality. In 2008, he was sentenced to 11 years in prison after promising to the mothers of victims of the 2004 Beslan school siege that he could resurrect their children. He was released early in 2010 and now lives in Serbia, where he promotes pseudoscientific project universe hacking codes, which gained popularity due to the coronavirus epidemic. Mostly through the social network TikTok. Uh, he was born in Karovo in the uh, Shimkent region of Kazakhstan and into a family with Ukrainian roots. And apparently at a meeting with Baba Vanga in 1995, the Bulgarian clairvoyant in the village of Rupite. Uh, oh, so here's a here's a personal account of the meeting with Baba Vanga. Lyudmila Kim, a traditional healer from Moscow, said in an interview with the Cosmos, the Cosmos Lokaya Pravda newspaper, October 13, 2005, that she was present at a meeting between. Grabovoy and Vanga, according to Kim, Vanga's views on Grabovoy's abilities were sharply critical, and Grabovoy was expelled from the meeting. Anyway, those are Grabovoy numbers, and I have no idea if it's going to help your headache. Hopefully, it doesn't make it worse. All right, let's get into the show. Thanks for being here. All right, where do I begin? There's so much to talk about. 
So much to talk about. Besides it being Trump's birthday. Uh, where do I start? So I was watching Tim Pool last night. A little bit. I watched snippets of Tim Pool. I can only take him in about five-minute chunks. But it had to do with people getting banned from YouTube. And we're talking big people, people with big followings. And they were, I think Jack Posobiec was on there. Whatever you think of Jack Posobiec, but he was on there. And they're doing to these people that are, I would say, much more high-profile influencers than myself. They're doing the same thing to them as they're doing to me. And I just found this out watching uh, Tim Pool last night. So they're going back and they're looking at COVID content. And they are striking people for what they're saying about COVID. And they're banning them for a week. So I thought, you know, maybe this was just some kind of, you know, random bot. And, And maybe that's part of it. But, you know, one or two times with me is maybe a bit of a coincidence. But when you see it amongst all these other people happening at the same time, that's a pattern. So what does the pattern mean? The pattern to me says that there's something coming. That there's something that if they need to, they can wipe people out from YouTube again. They're they're generating um, enough evidence or enough backlog to um, make a case for certain people to eliminate their channels. That's coming. Why? Why else would they be doing this? <coughs> Why else now? Right? This is what they did in 2020. They got out ahead of it. And they started basically either shadow banning or completely um, altering how how people's ability to share information on YouTube. And I was part of that as well. I was off of YouTube for months which forced me to start this channel on my website, which I'm grateful for because for the most part, I can talk about whatever the fuck I want here. And I do so within the bounds of reason, but at the same time, it gives me the latitude if I need to, to talk about things in ways that aren't going to jeopardize my standing on YouTube. Now, somewhere down the line, there may be different standards. We'll see. But as of now, they're not. And even on Rumble, they're not. Although the French government doesn't let people watch Rumble. This is what Maria uh, told me over on Twitter. It's like, well, for now, get a VPN. I mean, the astrology stuff on YouTube seems to be okay. As long as I don't talk about their sacred cows. Or talk about them in ways that maybe the algorithm doesn't really recognize but that was really interesting and then my mother was 
watching YouTube. It's kind of interesting watching her get kind of a an indirect education around what I do because she you know, she started to talk about she saw the Tim Pool thing and she, and I said well, well that happened to me and she was like kind of shocked that it happened to me and so she's kind of understanding this world a little bit now which I think I think is is good I mean just because maybe she didn't really understand it all that much before and then I could look at you know somebody like Frank from quite frankly and it's like yeah I know him. I've been on a show, you know, we're friends, we communicate. So there's context for her on a personal level with the material and the content, which I think is cool. So, but that's, to me, that's troubling. I think it's a troubling sign. And, and when I hear this, and again, these kind of power influencers are going through the same thing, it's, it's problematic. Something is coming. Something is coming to give them the, um, it's sort of like when you're at work and you're working for a corporation and they write you up, right? When you get written up at work, they're looking for anything to get to number two and then number three. By the time they get to number three, you know, they walk into uh, HR and sign this and, you know, You've, you've got an hour to get your stuff out of your cube or it's not, sometimes it's not even that they'll just walk you out and they'll say, we'll put your stuff in a box. The shit like that happens in corporate America. Although now the tables have turned a bit in terms of who that happens to and why anyway. Um, but it's interesting to see that it feels like something is coming. Something around and, and and they're using COVID. No, they're no longer using the election stuff. Like you can talk about the election stuff, no problem. But the um, the COVID stuff is still a cardinal sin. So it must have something to do with contagion, a forthcoming contagion. Uh, now, Dr. Jones said to me this morning that it's the Marburg virus and that apparently there are all these latent viruses inside of the uh, clot shot and that they could be triggered by frequency. And maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe this is what's going to happen next. And the frequencies get switched on and you've got a bunch of people now that are going to drop in like flies. And so the, the health warriors or the people that were out in front on COVID, they're going to target them. They don't want them talking about the, the possibility of what the next thing could be. And it could be any number of next things. There are so many fires right now that are burning that they could accelerate any one of them at any given point. Let's talk about some of the disclosure stuff, which is kind of mind-blowing, actually. I found this video, and it's this whistleblower. I don't know if you guys have seen this video, but he gets into some 
fractal detail around this whole disclosure thing. And so this is from June 12th, 2023. And this guy's name is um, Hunter Uzamaki. That's his name. And he's part of, I think, Space Force. Don't hold that against me. So check out what this guy has to say. And it has to do with Antarctica. Kind of interesting shit. Oh, here we go. I'm very happy that you're giving me this attention and this information attention because it needs to get out to the world. I will start uh, since we have to be brief. I have already given Eric all Hacker. pertinent information and supporting documentation to the Senate Intelligence Committee and Arrow. They informed me that all of my information will be recorded for public record and shared with Congress. It is that important. In 2010, I was selected to go down to the South Pole Station in Antarctica for an entire year by Raytheon Polar Services as an employee of a third-party contractor for the National Science Foundation. I function in a dual-role capacity as a tradesman and a firefighter. My responsibilities required me to be more informed than most of my crew and offered me complete access to the facilities. What I learned from this unique experience needs to be shared with the entire world. The technology at the South Pole Station certainly can do what it is presented as its primary purposes, and unfortunately, much more. The IceCube neutrino detector is presented as a passive listening device for the purposes of the science as presented. But I'm going to skip right through the chase, folks. Uh, I have provided documentation that proves that the 5,160, what they call DOMs, that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at 2,047 volts each. That gives us a long list of things to consider. It is effectively a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform that I will uh, list rapidly a few things that it can do. Vehicle detection. We're learning that these off-world craft, on-world craft, ours or other nations are also emitting neutrinos. So this makes the South Pole Station effectively an air traffic control station for this new level of equipment that nobody's discussing. In addition to the ability to detect neutrinos and the exotic vehicles, I provide a documentation that shows that this is also a system for faster-than-light communications. In the past, Gary McKinnon has hacked NASA found the off-world fleet, the list of captains, and it's apparent that if we have faster-than-light vehicles moving throughout the system, we're going to need faster-than-light communications. This is that facility. Unfortunately, I have other bad news. The season that I was there, 2010 to 2011, we converted from uh, construction to operations and maintenance in both the elevated station and the detector array. Unfortunately, when they first fired it up, that was when we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand. There was two incidental shots before they were able to target it correctly. This is an earthquake-generating device as well. This is the weapons of war that we have to deal with now and what Raytheon's hiding. There's an ELF system at the South Pole Station that when I was arrived, I was told it was off, dismantled, and completely defunct. In my work, I will rapidly just tell you, I had to figure out the circuitry for certain other repairs, and I found that this system is, in fact, completely energized, up and running, and being utilized with the other systems for 
nefarious purposes as well. The Atmospheric Research Observatory is uh, in what we call the clean air sector. I witnessed myself a very powerful green laser shooting out of the top of this facility into the cosmos. This, I believe, is a secondary form of long-range communications and or a defense system. I am not saying that we need to be scared of anything that's out there, but please understand the military-industrial complex is happy to invest all of your money in alleviating their fears. <clears throat> a question of power comes into play for all of these facilities that are present. I assure you, I knew what was going on, I knew the load demands of the facility, and all of these new items exceed the demand for the systems that I was presented. I am doing due diligence and research. I believe there is either a secondary power supply there that is either nuclear, that uh, was there prior to the start of the Antarctic Treaty, which prohibits such things, and or that there is some sort of exotic uh, power supply system there that just is not in the verbiage of the treaty, so it negates the responsibility to the parties involved. I think that pretty much covers it for time. If anybody, if anybody wants to find out more, I have a website where all this information is at for brevity. I'll wrap it up, but you can go to deciphering.tv. I've documented all of this stuff. Let's go there. Eric Hecker. That's some shit right there. All right. That's a disclosure and shit. Let's go to uh, decipher. What is it? Deciphering.tv. Let me go back here. Documented all this stuff and information is available. That's Stephen Greer, isn't it? TV documented all this stuff. That's Stephen Greer. Deciphering.tv. All right. Let's uh let's go there. What do you want? You can come up here. Come up here. There it is. Should get this guy as a guest on the show. Alaska, Antarctica, exploring healing research reviews talks. So this is his website. So we have um, got some interviews here. Free range with Gal from Gaia or Gail from Gaia. So he does interviews, I think, right? Let's get this guy in the show. Oh, look, he sells CBD. I'm going to have to do a bit of a dive on this dude. Anyway, compelling, compelling information. If true, why, and why wouldn't we assume that it's true? I mean, we know that they've got you know, crazy fucking technology and they've been using it for quite a while. I don't have any problem with this, this part of the story. You know, why is Antarctica off limits? Why do, why do people like Barack Obama and John Kerry and uh, the Orthodox Russian Orthodox Pope all go down to Antarctica and more. There's something really big in Antarctica Huge. And I think that's only part of the story. 
And when you talk about neutrinos, like neutrinos are pretty intense. Like the galactic center emits neutrinos, the sun emits neutrinos. So we're, we're talking about an energy form that is really advanced and uh, capable of doing probably a lot more than we can wrap our head around. And the thing that was interesting was that he used the term craft as related to the United States and other countries, meaning that they probably have their own anti, of course, we know they have their own anti-craft craft. So something here in, in, we've got all these different kind of streams going on. They're, they're sort of like these um, rivers of timelines that are, the, and they're starting to get really weird and starting to get like, um, there's a wobble. There's a wobble in reality. And even if it's planned, even if it's um, part of the script, nonetheless, it still creates a wobble in our so-called reality. So this, to me, is, is uh, clearly something of interest. Not even from the fact that there are so-called UFOs, right? Not even from that part of it, but it is this idea of the technology that they have had and have been holding back for decades, right? And so here we are, we're kind of on the precipice of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the deindustrialization of the West and the world, not just the West. Well, China will still have industry, but not, not the West. So there's that, right? And there's this, and when you have that, there's a centralization of technology and who gets to use it and who gets to um, develop it and who gets to innovate, right? They control everything at that point. This is a wild card. So when we go back and look at what we talked about, like this kind of this white hat sect in some ways that is um, connected to throwing these monkey wrenches into the system. This is it. Like this is part of the monkey wrench. Now you could say, well, I don't believe it. I don't trust it. Clearly you have to, you have to work this through your filter. Right. But I think, if we all sat down together, we would probably agree on the fact that they've got technology and have had technology for a long time that is way beyond the fucking, you know, saltine crackers they give us. Okay. They think that we're, they think, oh yeah, let's give them windmills and solar panels. It's like fucking bread and circus. It's bread and circus for uh, people who have, you know, green cheese for brains, right? I mean, this is really what it is. Nothing more. Those systems, with, with anybody that's got a modicum of sense and rational function, know that they are not sustainable. They're just not sustainable, period. End of story. To start with the lithium batteries and what you have to do to extract the lithium. You have to fucking destroy large swaths of land, right? That are never going to come back. They're just not reclaimable, right? That's how you get to lithium. That's just for starters. 
now they're finding that uh, they have all these solar panels. They don't have a long shelf life, maybe at the most three, four years. can only have so many charges. Now they've got all these solar panels they don't know what to do with. Right? You, you can't, you, they're not, they're not forever. Solar panels are not forever. So they got to deal with these solar panels. And even the, the, the windmills, the, the props have an aging process. You everything here degrades. Now the time scale for degradation is different for different things, but it all degrades. So what are you going to do with those props? They found that the windmills themselves, many of them are powered by diesel engines. Yeah, that's right. Diesel engines. So they can turn and give the illusion that they're working. You ever go through a patch where there's a bunch of, uh, there's a lot of them here in Texas. And these, uh, these windmills are running, but you go outside and there's, there's no wind. You ever done that? I've seen it. Why? They got diesel motors in there to generate them. So I think in their brains, well, we're spending X amount on the diesel motor to keep this thing going, but we're getting more current in return. So there's a, there's a net charge. It's a dirty little secret about uh, these windmills. That's what they give us, bread and circus, right? The, the green bread and circus. And meanwhile, they're sitting on all this fucking technology and have been. And they, it could be a game changer overnight. And you want to, you want to eradicate poverty. You want to eradicate racism, flip the switch on the energy stuff. Boy, that'll happen real fast. But the people that are in control of resources and power, you would have to pry that away from them. Unless, unless there were people inside the system that were hacking the system. And doing this on purpose. Because what does it do? It throws a monkey wrench into the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Now, just to play devil's advocate, because it is Gemini, and uh, I'll, I'll put that hat on, that the new technology could also be a tool for really profound slavery. Right, unless it's totally untethered and free, there are terms and conditions and strings attached to this potential technology. It's so powerful that you that each and every individual needs to be vetted. What does that mean? It just means no. We need to know who you are. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, we need to get a, a retinal scan or we need to have like a a palm scan or something like that. And you just do that and you're good and you can access this stuff. It's all yours. It's your, your suite of tools, right? And there are people who will do that. Like if you really, really wanted, to, and I've talked about this before, if you really wanted to get people to co-sign on something that was uh, pernicious and and literally like anti anti Christian, 
you would get them to voluntarily sign up for something like that. Oh yeah. That sounds great. And I think that would be the ultimate temptation. If indeed that's how it was presented, right? It would be the ultimate temptation because who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to have all this really cool shit at your disposal? And it's easy to theoretically opt out out of the the bug slurry diet, right? Like it's like, oh no, man, I'm I'm good, I'm good. I'll opt out of that. I don't care what it takes, but I'll opt out of that. It's a lot harder to opt out of something that is both philosophically, spiritually, and technologically um, resonant and relevant. And if you and if, and if you opt out of something like that, you're really you're really opting out because the acceleration of the socio how uh, would I call this the the social economy would just go like this, right? It'd be parabolic, and everybody who didn't want to be a part of that would be right down here at the trough, and it'd be very be like really living on two fucking different planets. I mean, we're kind of already there now, but. So I just have to play the devil's advocate here because there could be that issue, right? There could be that that uh, that case where, yeah, you could have it all, right? You just need to kind of sign over your identity. Just give it to us. And most people would be happy. They'd be happy to do that. Because the... the uh, the skin in the game just gets a lot bigger at that point, right? A lot bigger. Anyway, it's something to think about. And it does feel to me like his name is Hacker, which sounds a lot like Hacker. It's probably not even his real name. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. I'm just speculating a bit here. But uh, the system feels like it's being hacked a little. And if you go back and look at this idea that there are these two groups on this planet. One is called the sons of Belial and the other is the law of one. And they emerge out of this kind of um, Atlantean mythos, the, the mythos of Atlantis, right? And the sons of Belial, as the uh, story goes, don't think humanity can manage their own um, affairs. Like they, they need intervention. Humanity needs intervention. And this would look like Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. We need to manage humanity. We need to make sure that, you know, they're whatever, right? Equitable, whatever bullshit. Um, then the, the law of one, contends that humanity can take care of itself, right? Like, apparently there's been this kind of ongoing struggle between these two ancient forces on this planet for a long time. And you can kind of see it here in this scenario, right? Like, this guy, Eric Hecker, theoretically would fall into the law of one camp, or people that would be promoting this type of technology like like elon musk for instance would be a law of one guy then even his um 
introduction to Twitter and his theoretical ownership of Twitter would begin to convince people of that. And I'm not sure he is. I'm, like, I'm not sure he's on our side. I think Elon could play any fucking side that he wanted to, to be honest with you. <clears throat> but um, I wonder if I should say this. I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't. But it does. How do I? Now that I brought it up, I got to find a way to talk about it. Let's just say, for instance, that um, somebody like Elon Musk uh, has a kid, and somebody kind of knows and understands that the kid is, you know, theoretically normal and dealing with like you know, kind of kid health stuff. And that this father would was uh, intimately involved in the uh, upbringing, care, and health of that child, right? In a way that uh, this person may not have been in the past, which means the person has skin in the game. Skin in the game is everything. It's everything. And when you have a child... You have skin in the game. You, all of a sudden, the world becomes different. You no longer have to think about yourself. You do, but you're you're no longer at the top of the pyramid, right? Your your offspring is at the top of the pyramid, and so you're supposed to do everything you can to make sure that your offspring has a safe and healthy upbringing. And you know that's skin in the game. And then you look around and you begin to see what's going on in the world. And it's, I think it's not impossible for people that don't have children, but people that do have children, it accelerates their, their path to something much more conservative. Because they understand that raising a child is fraught with uh, pitfalls and perils. Any good parent would understand that. And then, of course, you become involved and you understand that there's this connection between your offspring and what happens downstream with your lineage. You know, it's the future that's informing who you are as a parent and a human to cultivate and care for the carrier of future generations. That's the skin in the game. Uh, when you get it, then you... Which I mean, I always had you know some skin in the game, but after you know, my son was born, that's when a lot a lot of things really accelerated for me, in terms of understanding what are the potential threats to a young person, including a young male. And it was really a game changer for me, uh, especially being in a place like Berkeley. My God, you have such stark contrast there. Anyway. I'd love to know what you guys think about this because I think something is up and we're coming up on independence day, July 4th, a little movie called independence day wasn't there. And now we're getting these uh, eyewitness accounts that these aliens are not friendly. 
right? They're not friendly aliens. So they're kind of priming the pump here a little bit. You know, are we going to be dealing with a so-called alien invasion? Hell, I even read uh, a crazy fucking post where somebody was talking about how these fires in Canada are a result of a war between uh, Earth and these uh, alien interlopers. And I don't, I don't know if we're going to be dealing with the real threat or the surreal threat, or maybe both, maybe they, you know, maybe they mix it up, you know, the ultimate psychological operation and false flag were beam and some real shit. Right. I mean, who knows, but we've, we're, 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 we're entering into this territory now and it's really part of the continuum of the news speak. So it's something to certainly keep an eye out for. Good luck, right? But I do like this idea of people hacking the system and throwing everything off kilter, even though I know I put out the devil's advocate position. It's like, you know, fuck you. Here comes the disclosure. Here comes, you know, and it feels in some ways kind of appropriate with Aquarius, right? It feels appropriate that you have these people that are trotting out this dark Aquarian agenda. And as a result of that, it triggers something much, I wouldn't say lighter, clearly not their agenda. I'm all for it. I think it's great. And I, honestly, because at the very least, it'll make things interesting. Okay. What else did I want to talk about? We talked about Trump a little bit. And it's him, it being his birthday. I mentioned this on the show today, Astro Weather, the guy that was prosecuting him and really wanted to fry his ass, Cyrus Vance Jr., was born on the same day as Trump, different year, but same day. So they're both Geminis. It's really fascinating with Gemini, how you get these fractal reflections of the self through Gemini and the fractal reflections of reality. Fascinating. You know what? Life is good when you get some sleep. I, I didn't get any fucking sleep uh, two nights ago. And I was really yesterday morning. Today, last night I got sleep and I feel so much better today. Sleep is really underrated, especially when you get some. Um, I wanted to play you a really interesting clip here. It's actually not a clip. It's a story. And I kind of teased it a little bit on Astro Weather. And I think it's really important to note the markers of so-called reality once Pluto went into Aquarius. And we can just you know bring up the roll call again. We had um, Dil Mulvaney, Bud Light, the, the Clarion Call. That was Dark Gabriel. Maybe it was just Gabriel. And then, of course, the run-up, it was sort of it was sort of like gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen, whatever, start your engines. Rev up for, for pride. And then we then we have Chat GPT comes along, the alien disclosure stuff comes along. This is all Pluto and Aquarius, right? In the brief window. And then it goes in, it goes retrograde into Capricorn. 
and I talked about this today on Astro Weather in case you missed it, that Starbucks pulled all of their merch not even halfway through the fucking month. They pulled it, I think, on Monday, Sunday or Monday. So all of their um, pride stuff inside of the Starbucks is gone. Gone. And it's Pluto retrograde. Like we, we retrograde back to another time. And let me show you this. This is a really interesting little development here. Uh, let's see. This is funny as shit. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's called Jumping the Shark, but it's also um, it's also indicative of this Pluto transit, this retrograde back into uh, Capricorn. Massachusetts Middle School students tear down rainbow decorations and chant their pronouns are USA during Pride celebration, official slam intolerance and homophobia. The students at Marshall Burlington, Massachusetts, were asked to wear rainbow-colored shirts to school to celebrate Pride on June 2nd. However, a student-led protest broke out where they destroyed Pride decorations, threw stickers on the ground, and chanted, my pronouns are USA. Leave those kids alone. Officials are now calling for school district to reinstate the DEI board because of the display of intolerance and homophobia. You know, tough fucking shit, right? Just tough fucking shit. These are kids, like, it's okay. It's only okay if they respond the way that you want them to respond. Where's your tolerance? Where's your diversity? Middle schoolers tore down pride decorations, chanted their pronouns were USA in a striking protest. After they were asked to wear rainbow colors, the school students at Marshall Simons Middle School in Burlington, Massachusetts, were asked to wear rainbow-colored shirts to celebrate Pride Month on June 2nd. But a pre-planned protest broke out with students tearing up pride flag stickers and chanting, USA are my pronouns. Decked out in red, white, and blue, the students destroyed the decorations lining the hallway uh, the student organization Spectrum Group distributed. Oh, the Spectrum Group. Including a quote from American playwright, Tennessee Williams, sign is saying the school was a safe space and equality for everyone's decorations. Yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit. I was shocked and horrified. Neela Almstrom, a parent of an LGBT student, sat at a town hall meeting about the protest. Parents have told local news outlets their straight identifying students said they felt forced to participate and were offended by the Tennessee Williams quote that reiterated that the human heart is curved like a road through the mountains and only lines and streets can be straight. Burlington Equity Coalition co-chair Nancy Bonacera said during a town hall meeting, these displays of intolerance and homophobia are unacceptable and impact the whole community. Her and other supporters are now calling for the school district to reinstate the DEI board. Christine Steiner, 
whose daughter participated in the protest said her intention was not to hurt anybody's feelings, but simply that they didn't want to be forced to wear rainbow shirts. Good. These are the uh, decorations that they tore down. Their new flag. It's not just the rainbow flag, but it's so inclusive. So inclusive. My daughter just said, you know, mom, that's offensive to me. I am straight. Christine Steiner told WCBB, some of the kids threw the stickers on the ground, but I can only speak for my daughter. She just didn't want to wear it at the school. Not that she wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. Can't hurt anybody's fucking feelings. However, Burlington School sent a letter to parents that the district is obligated to provide a safe environment for all students to feel safe, seen, respected, without retaliation. I recognize that discussions and celebrations of individual liberty, identity rather, are complex and impacted by individual values, religions, and cultural norms, the result of which may include expression of racism, anti-religious hate, ableism, God, and in this case, homophobia. Superintendent Eric Conti wrote, the Burlington Public Schools believe the individual in, in the individual dignity and humanity of each and every person in our community. We embrace everyone for who they are and for what they bring to our schools and larger community. He continued, let us all work in being kinder to each other. You're not embracing the people that you're forcing your agenda on. You weren't embracing them, sorry. If you're embracing them, school would be, guess what? Just another fucking day where everybody just shows up and gets to be whoever they want to be without any kind of outside intervention, grooming, or programming. That's how you do it. You just let them show up. There's the sign. Yay. Yay. What's, what's up with the flags coming out of her head? What is that about? What, are they supposed to be on the roof or something? It looks like they're coming out of her brain. She's got LTGBTQ on her brain. Everyone is welcome here in Burlington. Apparently not. The altercation sparked allies and parents to call for more diversity, equity, inclusion efforts in the school, claiming this type of intolerant rhetoric starts in the home. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, let's, let's decipher that for a second. That means you need to get into their homes. That means that you need to get into uh, CP, what is it? Uh, CPS. You need to go into the homes and, and, and indoctrinate and or threaten the parents and or take their kids away. That's what it's saying. These displays of intolerance and homophobia are unacceptable and impact the whole community. No, they impact a small portion of the community. They impact the whole community because there are people that have decided that they don't want to go along with your social engineering, your programming, and your agenda. Therefore, they impact the community. And let's be clear, for a lot of these people, they're on gravy trains. This woman, I bet you she makes money right? This is her job. This is how she gets paid. This is great for her. 
She's going to need a raise. She's going to need a larger staff. Let's get on the phone with uh, Alex Soros. He's just down the road. We challenge Burlington Town leadership to take an active stand against hate under the guise of free expression. If those students in that school were anti-Christian, and I'm not even I'm not even here to like I'm not I was baptized, you know, in spirit, but I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a Christian flag waver. But I'll tell you this: if they burn Christian shit or Christian uh, pieces of relics, whether it was a cross or a picture of Mary or a picture they would never do Mary, but let's say Jesus, do you think there'd be so much fear? That's a funny word, isn't it? Fewer. Uh, let's see. Principal Carl Purchase apologized. Of course he did. In a letter stating that, oh, it's Carrie, stating that she wanted to publicly state that I stand in solidarity in support of the members of the LGBTQ community who are impacted by these events. Days after the disastrous pride celebration, anti-Semitic and racist graffiti was found inside the school's bathroom. That shit was a plant. I can tell you that right now. And I don't even have to go down the rabbit hole. It's like, let's piggyback on this. Let's turn these people into something that they're really not. However, Purchase told parents she does not believe it was related to the pride outburst. Parents are now calling for the DEI board to be reinstated. Some parents. It dissolved in 2022 after one year scheduled tenure was up. So really what the DEI board is, it's a, it's a board of just absolute, utter plutocrats that are there for struggle sessions and the re-education of parents and children. That's what they're there for. Let's, uh, let's watch the uh, video here. These displays of... Simons Middle School. Kids were asked to wear rainbow clothes in honor of Pride Spirit Day, but some organized a counter-protest wearing red, white, and blue or black. The principal sharing a statement to families that Pride stickers ripped up. Some students chanted, USA are my pronouns, and students showing Pride were intimidated. It was an unruly disruption. In fact, that was organized ahead of time. While some parents were upset, others say it was overblown. Some of the kids threw the stickers on the ground. But, you know, I can only speak for my daughter. She just, she didn't want to wear that to school. It's not that she wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. She says her daughter felt coerced to participate in the Pride event and was offended by some of the messages, like this quote from Tennessee Williams. Human heart cannot be straight. It is curves and lines. And my daughter just kind of said, you know, Mom, that's... That's offensive to, to me, who I am straight. But even parents like her, opposed to the Pride Month celebration, say the ripping of posters was wrong. I think destructing any property is wrong. I think, you know, that I just think that was wrong. Parents and community groups, town and school board to act and support diversity, equity, and inclusion. The incident sparking discussion at home on both sides. My thing that I teach my kids is just be kind, 
And I wish the schools would just kind of pump the brakes on what they are shoving down these kids' throats. The issue of pride in schools is very controversial. I understand that. I think we need to start at a place of commonality. Now, the principal says that no one was forced to participate in the Pride Day event, but now parents on both sides want dialogue. Live in Burlington, Sean Shai about WCVB News Center 5. Fuck dialogue. I want to. I want to see some, some rumble. I want to see some action, right? I mean, I think that's how this should be settled. You know, you, you do some, you, you like have some competition between the parents. You know, maybe even it out a little bit so it's not all physical. But how about like a cage match? Start there, Thunderdome. Two enter, one leaves. Settle it that way. See what happens. Let's see what happens. Uh, Christy Steiner looks like she could kind of hold her own. That's what I think. Anyway, the tide for now is turning. Uh, Pluto retrograde in Capricorn. <laughs> kind of winds the clock back a little bit. But Pluto in Aquarius will no doubt come around again. But when it does, it will be different. It won't be the same expression. It will be tempered and filtered through the experiences we have between now and its uh, ingress. And we also have one more retrograde with Pluto and Capricorn. So it'll be interesting by the time we get to full Pluto and Aquarius, like what is integrated and in how it finally shows up. And these transits are really fascinating. And I hope you're following along at home and can kind of see what's happening. In the meantime, you know the drill. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart too simple as possible. Chataria, um, you're the best. Next week, I will have full details for the sign-up for the event. We have 13 rooms left. So if you want to go to the event, you better get a room. I got 13 of the last rooms in Kerrville available for this event it's not just any event we're having an eclipse and that's on friday the 13th and we have a lot of really great uh people speakers guests that are that are going to be a part of it uh shauna home will be there and she's fantastic and she has um a lot of gifts and uh we're going to tap into shauna's uh experience and mindset and she's an absolute uh treasure of information and actualization she's an aries so she's on the other side of this eclipse um we're also going to have our friend leela she'll be there and she'll be talking about tremor release we're going to have mark s and he'll be doing some uh really cool high level spirit cartoons i'll just want to call them spirit cartoons on saturday night and everybody will get their their spirit cartoon get to hang out and interact with mark uh we're going to have some really cool sort of participant um spaces i think the morning of the eclipse uh sherlin is going to be doing a, a kind of a a, a bowl right tibetan bowl meditation and uh melissa uh Aguirre, who was at the event last year and some of you know who she is um she's going to be doing kind of a breathing 
activation on the morning of the eclipse. So it's going to be really cool, right? Um, we'll have uh, Darlena do a little human design on Sunday. I'll be doing something on Saturday. We'll have the Friday forecast, the eclipse version of the Friday forecast. We got a lot planned for this event. So I'll have all the details, uh, how much, where to sign up. It'll all be popping next week. A meeting with Jana at the facility on Monday. We're going to go over cost and budget and the whole nine yards. So I'll have my figures by then. And then once I've got those, full speed ahead. But if you haven't gotten a room and you want to attend, you need to get one now. And that's at the end of the hills in Kerrville. Okay. There are 13 rooms. They're the last 13 rooms in Kerrville. So if you haven't gotten one, I highly recommend you secure one. So you can go and we can have our entire group there. And it's going to be very interesting. It'll be our fifth one. And uh, it's amazing that we're on number five already. And each each event has been um, great, really great. And they've all been different, but they've all been great. All right, that's it. Uh, tonight, I'll be with Giuseppe on the uh, Saint Asylum. And then I'm hanging out with uh, Dr. Longo over on Old World, Florida. So I'll be busy tonight. Anyway, use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thanks for being here and uh, enjoy your day. Take care. Bye for now.